Bob Lowry as one of the influential voices for me in how I understand what the Bible says and how I interpret the Bible and how I learn from what the Bible says and then in turn what I say on behalf. Bob Lowry is my New Testament professor at Lincoln Christian Seminary. His little pet project, as that happens, if you're going to focus in something for him, it was the New Testament, it was the church, and he was a scholar, and, but he was always, he was involved in academics, but he was also involved in the church, always, just as much as he was involved in teaching. He, students in seminary and undergrad, he was involved in the church because he loved the church, because Bob loved Jesus. And because Bob loved Jesus, he wanted to love other people, and he wants us to know what the Bible says. Now, Bob, I'm still convinced he has forgotten more about studying the Bible and what the Bible says than I will ever learn. He's just one of those prolific readers. He'd read through the entire New Testament every month and the Old Testament several times a year, and he would just read and read and read and finish a whole book every week. I'm lucky if I finish a whole book in the year because I get distracted, and sometimes I go through better seasons. But one of the things that Bob focused on in his teaching was the book of Revelation. And what he taught me, and what I am still learning, is that this, what it is, this last revelation of John at the end of his life while he's exiled for his faith on the island of Patmos because he believes in Jesus like you and I do. He gets this vision that comes down from heaven, and it is the revelation of Jesus. Now, this is the same John who is one of the beloved, he was the beloved disciple of Jesus, one of the closest three that Jesus spent the most time with, even among the 12 apostles. He spent the most time with Peter, James, and John. And this is John who wrote the Gospel of John. It starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that came to exist came from Jesus. Is what John chapter 1 goes on to tell us a little bit further down. Nothing exists outside of Jesus and his creation. He's the one that wrote the first, second, and third John, and he's the one who God gave this revelation to. One of the things that Bob would always tell us about his nativity scenes is that he and his wife Marilyn, I've heard Bob tell this story, I've heard other people recount this story, Bob would always get a red dragon and put it in his nativity scene. His wife, Marilyn, would always go get that red dragon and remove it from their nativity scene. Some of you might be laughing. You might have that dynamic on a couple things in your house where maybe you do one thing and your spouse does another. Or maybe because your spouse does one thing, you decide to do another. What Bob and Marilyn always had was this tension about where that red dragon was going to show up in their nativity scene. Because Bob says it belongs right there. And Marilyn said, I don't want that next to the baby Jesus. And what we'll try to figure out today is that which one of them was right. I want to read to you the Christmas story today from John. And while he didn't include the traditional Christmas story in his gospel, he included it in this revelation that came from Jesus. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, get that out, open it up to Revelation chapter 12. And I'll read that text for us in just a little bit, so it'll give you a little bit of time to get to that. So we've got to decide, does this red dragon belong at the nativity or does it not? I guess it depends on your perspective. As one person explained 
the difference between optimists and pessimists has said they both contribute to our society. The optimist invents the airplane, and the pessimist invents the parachute. <laughs> I told this story, and I won't tell the whole thing. I told it last year. The song Silent Night, December 24, 2018, marks the 20th anniversary or the 200th anniversary of the song Silent Night. We sing it. It's one of our classic Christmas songs that we sing, but it didn't gain, gain notoriety or fame in the writer's lifetime. In fact, Joseph Moore was born in not good circumstances and was adopted by an executioner in a local town, and he had um, bad health growing up, and he was able to make it through school, and he applied to seminary, but he had to get a special exemption because of who he was and the family that he was born into. But he became uh, an assistant and a priest and, and a musician, and he wrote a poem, and on Christmas Eve, 1818, he was, had to improvise due to a broken organ, which we can kind of relate to our organs on the fritz right now. We're working on seeing if it can be revived, if we can get it fixed, having somebody come out to look at that. But so he wasn't able to play the organ, so he contacted another musician he knew. He came over, and he played it on guitar, and that's the first time that Silent Night was played. On Christmas Eve of 1818, the song didn't gain popularity in his lifetime, but afterwards in history, there's over 100,000 different versions of Silent Night with no less than 300 languages that it has been sung in. But sometimes what I find, even the songs that we love and that we sing, I don't think it always happened how we remember. Because in fact, even it takes a little bit more than just common sense, but it probably wasn't that quiet of a night when the baby was born. If you understand what I'm saying, that's not often a very peaceful and quiet process outside of the fact that they had been traveling and that Jesus was born in a place where livestock were normally kept because the town was full, because of the census that had been declared. So there was probably an awful lot going on. Revelation chapter 12, I want to read that for us today. So it's this, Revelation 12, starting in verse 1, and we'll read the whole chapter. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant, and she was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars from heaven and cast them from earth. And the dragon stood before the woman as she was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child who is the one to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God which she was to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fighting back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for any of them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night 
before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Rejoice therefore, O heavens, you and who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Because he knows that his time is short. Continues in verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman, and he had given birth to the male child, that who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, into the place where she might be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water out of like a river out of its mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth, and it swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, and it went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. What happens in the narrative of Scripture is that it begins in a garden, and as Revelation progresses to the end, it ends in a garden. And we get this promise in Genesis chapter 3, when sin comes into the world, and the, the serpent deceives Adam and Eve, and they sin, they disobey God, and it says that they have bruised his heel, but he will crush their head. The very first messianic promise about Jesus and what he would do, that Satan would be defeated. Now, I want to be careful, and I want to make sure we don't give too much attention to the dragon or too much attention to the beast, because in the grand scheme of things, and even within the scheme of the whole book of Revelation, they're in there, but if you count the verses that talk about them, they're not the main character. They're even nowhere near to being the most important one that's there. Eugene Peterson put it this way. He said, it was John's spirit-appointed task to supplement the work of Matthew and Luke so that the nativity wouldn't be sentimentalized into coziness, not into domesticated into worldliness. This is not the nativity story we grew up with, but it is the nativity story of Jesus just the same. Jesus' birth excites more than wonder. Jesus' birth excites evil. It gets our enemy up in arms, it's going to make him want to attack because he does not want us to be loved by God. He doesn't want us to spend forever in the presence of God. But I think what Revelation 12 tells us, even when we have trouble figuring out all the allusions and figuring out all the Old Testament direct references and the allusions to those and the different numbers where I find a lot of times in Revelation we've got to weigh the significance of the number more than we just count what the number says. But even in this text, the, the numbers as I understand, 1,260 days or time and times and half a time, that's a time and times which is two and then half a time. So one plus two plus half a time is three and a half. That's three and a half years. That's 42 months. That's roughly 1,260 days. So different ways of talking about the same time period. But I think what we see happens, even if we have questions and might disagree about what all of these things represent, what God is showing us is that when Jesus came into the world, that our enemy, the devil, was actively fighting against it to happen because he hates you. And he hates God. 
and he hates everything that is good, and he hates love, and he doesn't want you to have a second chance. He doesn't want you to be forgiven. He doesn't want you to know about the truth, and maybe I could word it this way. Even based on what we know in Revelation 12, the Satan came after Jesus with everything that he had. And what did he do? He lost. And if this great serpent, if this red dragon, if the accuser of God's people, if he can't conquer Christ the child, he certainly can't conquer Christ the king. He can't. He can't. I don't want to pick on our Christmas songs too much, because I won't, and I like them, and I like singing them. But I read the story this week. It says um, someone wrote about a Christmas experience that had happened in their family years ago. He was visiting his wife's parents for the Christmas program at the church they attended, knowing that their grandson had sang in their pageant, the big church. They wanted to sing along uh, and insert the kid into the pageant at the last minute, and as you can imagine, that didn't go very well. His memory got a little fuzzy as he belted out, Oh, come, all ye faithful. Going blank on the course, he sang out, Oh, come, let us ignore him. <laughs> oh, come, let us ignore him. A big world of difference between ignore and what the song says or what the text says, Oh, come, let us adore him. This child who the wise men sought out, who followed the star because God had given them the ability to do that. May we adore him. Jesus. Or maybe another way to phrase this Christmas story from Revelation 12 is that in the midst of hell on earth, we are to worship the victor. We're to focus on the one who has the power, not the one who wanted the power and was cast out, who was defeated. Jesus, when he took on flesh, our our kind of churchy Christian word for that is the incarnation. It's the theological term for it. You've got Christ put on flesh. Going back to John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God in the beginning. The Word is Jesus. He took on flesh, and he dwelt among us. And it's far more complex than we'll ever fully understand. No matter how much we read or study or pray, the complexity of all that God did for us, it's simple. And we can understand that God loves us, and he sent Jesus. And you know, that's enough. But just how much God did, the depth of his love and everything that God orchestrated was so deep. A Christian from centuries ago addressed it this way when he said, we're maybe this side of heaven, we're not going to fully understand everything about, maybe nothing, we're not going to fully understand everything about God. He said it this way. He said, God is not what you imagine or what you think you understand. If you understand, then you fail." Or if we think we have it all figured out, if I think I have all the answers, um, I, in fact, don't. In fact, that's one of the things I think that God teaches us as we uh, take more trips around the sun, as we get a little bit older. The more that we learn, I know at least in my life, whether it's about Scripture or other things, the more that I learn, the more that I realize how much I just don't know. I always have to rely on what God has done for us. And I'll say it again. If Satan couldn't conquer Christ the child, he absolutely cannot conquer Christ the King. And that is why we celebrate. So now if we get back to our story of Bob and Marilyn, where Bob took out the dragon. I cheated ahead of time. There weren't that many red ones. I took a red one. Sorry, I make the rules. Okay, so I have a red one. They're not all red. So who do you think was right? Bob putting this red dragon in the nativity scene or Marilyn for taking it away? Bob or Marilyn? 
The wife is always right. Jamie, I hope this is recorded and we will make sure Donna hears that, okay? <laughs> she is. And as what I find in life, you know what, sometimes, sometimes we're both right. I think Bob and Marilyn were both right because I know they both love Jesus. And they both understood, but Bob was right to recognize that the dragon was there and was present. But he's not the most important part of the story. Not even close. He's just a, something that's going to be done away with. He's the thing that's not going to be mattered. But it is important for us to remember that even in the midst of the best thing that has ever happened to us, of God sending his son, that the enemy was right there doing everything he could to stop God. And guess what, y'all? He can't, and he couldn't, and he won't. You can do what you want with that little dragon. You can pack it away with your nativity set so that when you open that up next year and you go, why do we have this thing? You can throw it away. You can do whatever you want to do with it. Or maybe you can have a little battle in your house. You're going to put it with a nativity set. Maybe someone in your family is going to move it away from the nativity set. The dragon's clearly there, but he has a mortal wound, and he has been defeated. And he has been bound. And his power might seem great from my little tiny perspective, but it is so small. And one of the only commands in this text, verse 3, it says, and another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon. Behold or look. What John is telling us, what Jesus is telling us is pay attention. You need to see this. This is the command. Know that this is here. There is this great red dragon. And it says that this great red dragon was thrown down from heaven. And he, they overcame the dragon by the blood of the lamb, by the power of truth. And by not being afraid to lose their lives. Because you see, that's another thing the book of Revelation tells us. That one power that Satan had to take away our life. When our life goes from here, where do we go to be? With Jesus. We're in the presence of God. If Satan takes my life, I go to the presence of my Father. So Satan's power is void. The power that he thought he had has been taken away. And as John gives this revelation of Jesus, these first Christians, they took away that power of the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, by the power of truth, and by not being afraid to die. Get out your hymnals and turn, the green ones, and turn to, to number 11. I want you to read along. I said read on purpose, and I'm going to read, trust me, outside of the fact that this song's ridiculously hard to play, even harder to sing, not doing it, don't worry, Theresa, we're not, we're, okay, no, 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 I wouldn't do that to you, wouldn't dare, okay, a mighty fortress is our God, written by Martin Luther, and look at this response that he gives, I want you to read it, because our comprehension grows when we put our eyes on it, too, so I'm going to read this out loud, I'm reading verse 3, and though this world with devils filled should threaten us to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. We, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That one little word? It's Jesus. 
doesn't have any power over us. He doesn't. Let's pray. God, because of the power of the cross, we can stand and we can be forgiven. Father God, we are grateful for the power of the cross and for the testimony of Jesus. And God, we are grateful that while we know that that dragon is prowling around like a lion waiting to pounce on us to ruin our lives, God, that you are there all along and his power is nothing compared to yours. And God, may we not ignore that he is there, but may we know that he is not our boss. He is not our friend. He is not anything to us but the enemy. Father, may we follow the words of scripture. May we resist the devil and he will flee from us, knowing that he can't conquer Christ. And when we are covered by Christ, he cannot conquer us. God, may we celebrate that message, not just today, but this week and everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.